Every now and then, I meet someone who's changing the world for the better by their sheer will alone. Whether they're authors, activists, or adventurous, these people are blazing a path with their deep enthusiasm and allowing the world to follow. Their passion is strong, and my passion is to tell their stories. I am Brian Platt, and this is Passion Project. So I'm here with Sonia Faruqi. She's the author of The Oyster Thief, which I just finished reading. Um, welcome, Sonia. Thanks, Brian. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. Um, thank you so much for taking the time out. Um, I just finished reading The Oyster Thief. Loved it. I love the way that you were able to seamlessly combine um, you know, some amazing storytelling along with some incredible facts about the ocean. I can tell you really researched it well, and I, I definitely appreciate that. Good. I'm so glad you liked it. I really enjoyed writing the book, and it means a lot to me when people enjoy reading it. Yeah, yeah. You went into it briefly in the uh, like this amazing section in the back, a beautiful, um, a beautiful world section that you had. We wrote about the you know what caused you to write it, but what's a little background um, about yourself and what made you write this book? That's a bit of a departure from your first book, um, which is Project Animal Farm, which is more of a uh, nonfiction. Yes, I fell into this book. It uh, sounds funny to say, but uh, I live in Toronto, and it was January 1st, 2015. It was a freezing morning. There was snow everywhere, and I had this sudden desire to escape. I envisioned going to the beach, to the water, hearing the sound of the waves and the sound of the gulls and the smell of the salt. And I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't afford to book a last-minute trip. I didn't have the time for that either. So I decided to escape in my mind. I made myself a cup of tea and sat down quite firmly on the couch. <laughs> and I just started writing my own underwater world. And that's where the seed of the idea took place for the oyster thief. And uh, over the course of researching the ocean, I became quite enamored with it. It's such a beautiful world out there. It's an area we know very little about. Uh, for instance, the average depth of the ocean is two miles. It uh, goes down very deep. Much of the ocean is actually dark, and it's lit by bioluminescence. Um, there's so much life down there. There's more than 10,000 kinds of algae. There's uh, millions of species that are still undiscovered of both animals and algae. Uh, so it, it was a, it's a mystical world. It's intriguing. It's stunning. And um, I snorkeled. I dived. I swam with sharks to really try to understand the world and to make it the setting for the oyster thief. Yeah, that was one thing I really appreciated that I could tell you put in the legwork. I could tell you researched a lot. Was that always there, that, um, you know, that ocean conservation theme? Was that always something you wanted to tackle or was it just kind of when you first started, like, I, I kind of want to escape and I would like to, um, you know, go to a different world for a bit? I'm glad you asked. It's actually not something I've always wanted to tackle. I am the author of Project Animal Farm, which is a work of investigative journalism about factory farms. And 
that book immersed me into this world of farms and also started to make me very conscious about the environment as a whole. Mm. Now, in Project Animal Farm, I explored land and land issues, including animals and animal farms. Um, and that sort of extended me subconsciously toward the ocean as that is two-thirds off the planet. Um, but really, I wouldn't say I'd ever thought much about ocean issues. And there's so many that exist. I never thought about them properly before starting the Oyster Thief. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. It, it is kind of, um, yeah, it's something that kind of dovetails into what you were writing, the uh, Project Animal exactly. Farm book. Yeah, and it's just it's one of those things that you know, if the oceans go, then then we're soon to follow, um, and a lot of people don't really realize that. And that's what I appreciated about this book was it, it talked about the strength of the ocean, but also the vulnerability. Um, and I really appreciated the way you were kind of able to fully tackle both of those sides, that dichotomy of, of ocean life. Thank you. Yes, it's um, very vulnerable. That's a good word. And it's a word we don't usually associate with the ocean because it's so big. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't think of something that big being so vulnerable. Uh, but so many of our most mundane day-to-day -day habits, including our usage of plastic and chemicals and sunscreen and, uh, you know, the way we eat and drive, everything does affect the ocean. Uh, the human lifestyle today is the biggest having the biggest impact on the ocean of anything else. Uh, so we are quite um, imperiling the ocean and thus are also being imperiled hmm. by the changes that we are creating. Yeah, yeah, it's a great way of putting it. Um, yeah, and it, you know, even just by overfishing, people always thought it was inexhaustible. There's no way you could overfish. It's too big. Hmm. Um, <laughs> but we find out, that, you know, quite the opposite, um, you know, especially with commercial fishing and, and you know, things becoming a little bit more rampant. So, yeah, that's a very, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a thing that I feel like we've had to come to terms with a little bit more recently. Yes. Yeah, so before you were an author, uh, you know, I, I did a little reading about you. I understood you were an Ivy League graduate, uh, an investment banker. Um, what made you want to change careers? Is this uh, a full-time career change? Um, you know, I, I, like I said, I read a little in the preface of The Oyster Thief, and I found your career transition very inspiring. Um, I just wondered how you came about that and if it's, um, you know, if it's going to be a permanent change. I, it's true. I never expected to write books. I never even <laughs> liked writing. <laughs> and growing up, I loved math and science, uh, particularly math. And so Wall Street was the perfect fit for me. I loved Excel. I loved the long hours. I loved the paycheck and living in New York. Uh, everything was uh, good and uh, somewhat glamorous as well. Um, but there was the economic recession in the U.S. And as it turned out, I was a part of that. And the um, sector was really struggling. So um, I came down to me to think about what else I wanted to do at least for the short term. And then it just happened that I, having always grown up in cities, I'd never been to a farm and I was curious about where our food comes from. That led me to go to my first farm 
and find myself quite surprised and um, disappointed by the animal welfare at the farm. Uh, that led me to go to more farms across the world in Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, uh, U.S., Canada, Mexico, Belize, to really understand and to recommend solutions. Um, now, upon writing that book, which was nonfiction, I found that I really enjoyed the process of writing, the process of creating and distilling thoughts. And so um, the foray into fiction came out of that. Uh, I do find myself writing and enjoying it quite a bit. So I do hope to continue it long term. Uh, the exact book that might be next, I, I can never be sure. Yeah. Um, but it's certainly something that I find is very meaningful. Uh, books have always played a huge role in my own life and affecting my thoughts and actions. Uh, so it's kind of nice to be able to give back in that sense as the writer of books myself now. Uh, to be able to influence not only my own self while researching and writing, but also others. What, um, you, if you can even talk briefly about what books might have influenced you, whether it was with this writing process or just, you know, becoming who you are today. Do you have a list of that or, or any anyone jumps to mind? Yes. There's a lot of books that I've loved. Um, one book, one author whom I like is Ayn Rand, oh, yeah. and she people are a bit surprised when I say that. <laughs> uh, she's associated with the far right. Uh, she's this, Her area is called Philosophical Fiction. She wrote uh, The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged. I found that not necessarily that I agree with everything she says, but the styles of the stories and how she's able to weave philosophies and ideas and themes really deeply into the plot itself. I found that very skillfully done and yeah. really impressive. And that's her writing has been a bit of a model for me, but not, uh, of course, not the thematic aspects, but the writing itself. Um, beyond mm -hmm. that, I've loved a lot of books. Uh, self-development books, The Power of Now yep, by Eckhart that Tolle. That's a, that's, a, that's a great one. It is so good. And uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Uh, I'm just taking a look at my bookshelf right now. Uh, there's a lot of books on animals, too, that I've really liked. Um, Temple Grandin's Animals in Translation. Sure. It was good about the mindset of animals and trying to delve into that. Rachel Carson's work, A Silent Spring, was lovely. And she's written a trilogy of sea-related nonfiction. I'm also starting to delve into that. Um, but there's so much influence and there's so many good books out there. It's sometimes hard to choose. <laughs> well, yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm glad what I like about yours is a lot. You know, you've got this nonfiction, you've got uh, fiction. But yours blends, at least the Oyster Thief blends them perfectly. Um, so I didn't really feel like I had to choose between the two when I was reading yours. I really appreciated that. Um, and it's yeah. interesting that your first book was, was more of an, like you said, like an expose on farm, farm industry, uh, farming lifestyle. Um, and this one's a novel. Uh, and it's a novel about mermaids and underwater living. And 
you know, just kind of a completely different world. Um, how did the writing process, the research process, how did that differ between the two books? That's a great question. And um, there was quite a difference. In Project Animal Farm, I went to farms and much of the book was inspired by those first-hand farm visits. That said, I also used a lot of other sources to ensure everything was accurate. And there's about 600 references cited at the back of the book. Mm. So it's really very substantial research. It took me one to two years just uh, to do all the research. Yeah. Now, in The Oyster Thief, uh, being fiction, the research was done differently, and it's some details here and there are interweaved into the story. For instance, the more people, their houses are made of stones, and, and I mean, their whole culture of their the way they eat and live. Mm-hmm. I looked into the real stones found in the Atlantic, and the real animals, the real algae and seashells and all of that. So it was, and I kept an Excel file of everything, uh, different tabs, different color codes for the different areas. I would research it, and then I would think, how is this applicable to the culture of mer people? Oh, wow. Uh, for instance, if there's a kind of algae which is good for the thyroid, and we know scientifically that it's good for the thyroid, then I would use that as the protagonist, Coraline, an apothecary mermaid, a healer in essence, she would use that for that purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really tried to combine both science and imagination, first finding out what's there and then seeing how that can actually play a role in the story. And there's a quote by Richard Feynman that the imagination of nature is greater than the imagination of man and i really found that to be quite true because there's so much out there and uh, it's so interesting in that sense fact is more interesting than fiction and i found that uh, productive and illuminating to use fact to inspire fiction wherever possible yeah i really like that quote um and, and I like the fact that, you know, I've done a bit of writing myself and, um, you know, when you start adding extra themes, like I, I read that when you added or when you decided that you wanted Coraline to be in the Atlantic Ocean, uh-oh, that adds this whole extra, you know, layer of research you now have to do. You can't add, um, yeah, yeah you, you can't add any, you know, any fish or any, any aquatic life that would not be found in the Atlantic Ocean. So you have to kind of revert back and and, with every choice you make you layer on more research but it gets more streamlined it gets more distilled in the end precisely that's how i went about it and uh, at times i wasn't sure if it would all come together uh, (laughs) because there's so many different elements there's all this research and the story itself has to be in the foreground and the characters as well um so there was multiple i was working from multiple different levels sort of top down and also bottom up and hoping that they would meet somewhere that would be interesting and enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's hard for one person to do. Uh, You know, you have to do the research, you have to do the story editing, you have to, um, you know, do character development and dialogue. Did you, um, 
you know, it, it's, uh, you know, writing a book is more collaborative than a lot of people might think. Um, who, who was able to help you along the way in that process? Who do, who do you really, um, you know, who do you find very beneficial during that process? I found it beneficial to talk to people. I would uh, speak to my sister and my brother both quite a lot. They're both avid readers. Um, my sister, I have a twin sister, Sophia. She's uh, a good editor as well, actually, so it was always helpful to get her insights. And my brother is more of a big picture, big picture reader, and he had a lot of ideas for characters and twists in the story. So they were both incredibly helpful. And then the beta readers, I had some beta readers in addition to my brother and sister. Uh, I recruited them through my newsletter uh, from my website. And they played a really big role in informing the story. I would send them chapters every week and they would all give me feedback by the next week. And it was personally encouraging to see that people were that these readers were so interested in seeing the story develop and were waiting for the next installment. And it also helped make the next installment and the overall book much better than it could have been without them. I'm very grateful. I've always had, um, I've always been fortunate to work with good and interesting people who play a big role in helping me develop. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's great insight to um, you know to be able to get from your family and also um, you know your new your newsletter of, of loyal readers. So that's that's definitely very helpful. Um, I'd imagine. Um, so the book is published by Penguin Random House. That's one of the five uh, the big five publishers. Um, how how did you establish this connection? How did you um, how did they help you along the way? Um, how was the process different? Uh, than, than would it be with a, a smaller publisher? Yes, it's been interesting. I've uh, been with two publishers. And my primary publisher is Pegasus Books in mm. New York, and they've been wonderful, very supportive of both Project Animal Farm and The Oyster Thief, uh, although they're quite different books. And uh, in Canada, the publisher and distributor is Penguin Random House. And that's been a good relationship as well. And to see more about how the bigger publishers work. And they've both been really terrific to work with. Uh, I was connected to Penguin through Pegasus because they focus on the publicity for Pegasus books in Canada. And I was uh, connected to Pegasus themselves uh, through my first book, a Project Animal Farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's I've been quite fortunate to have found good publishers and to see that they're uh, interested in, and supportive, despite the fact that I'm writing different kinds of books. And that makes it a bit harder for publishers because then they have to be more creative with the marketing rather than marketing to the original fan base that might have developed uh, yeah, and that point. might be interested in the second book if the two books are quite similar. Um, so it was, it's been a, a good experience with the publishing world for me. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you, you know, 
your writing style has got to change, but also who you're marketing to has got to change uh, between the different books. There's not necessarily going to be an exact overlap uh, between, you know, any fiction and nonfiction. Um, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's interesting. I never really thought of that. Well, yes. Um, so I, I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I'm writing an article or a story, uh, like ideas for 10 others always seem to come up. Uh, did that happen for you? Um, did your research kind of take you down a rabbit hole and like, okay, I have to stop that and maybe come back to it later um, for another story? Or, or were you kind of really invested in The Oyster Thief as you were writing it? It was mostly that I was invested in The Oyster Thief. Um, but there are times when it feels easier to look towards something else <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. As we all, there's a honeymoon phase with writing a book. The early stages are very good and everything's possible. Then as you go further, you might see that there's a few issues that you need to contend with, whether it's the story or whether something, a particular scene is just not turning out quite how you'd hoped uh, or some plot angles that you didn't think about, but that are a bit of a tear in the fabric of the story. So it then feels easier to just move on to something else. Uh, but I did stick with it, uh, despite the fact that at one point I did have to abandon the whole book and start over from scratch. Uh, yeah. I'd, uh, <laughs> I started it on Jan 1st, 2015, as I mentioned. But and I spent about two and a half years and about 2,000 hours working on the book. But it just wasn't right at that stage. It was reading more for a young audience, and I hadn't really done the research at that stage and integrated it into the book. Then I decided to throw it out, start over with a blank slate, a completely different story and I spent three months planning and researching it very, very closely to make sure that it would all hold. And things did change after that outline, but it was something good to work off. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna, we, we kind of talked about that briefly before we started recording, but you know, it, it must've been a bit disheartening uh, to kind of have to reset and change, uh, you know, and start all over again. Um, but I'm sure it was an invaluable you know, experience, you know, it's 2000 hours. It could have been 3000, you know, at least you were able to cut it off and really come out with an amazing story at the end. Yeah. So you're right. Actually, it could have been 3000. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Who's to say, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, that's kind of why it's important to as invested as you get, or as I feel like get into a story. It's, I feel like it's important to kind of pull yourself out and realize, you know, Hey, this might not even be uh, you know, appropriate, thing for the character to do or whatnot um so so yeah it's definitely you know you came out with something amazing in the end so in that sense it's definitely seemed to be all worth it well, thanks brian <laughs> yeah um of course so what did you what did you learn about yourself that kind of goes into my next question what did you learn about yourself um through the writing process or what did you learn about the writing process as you were writing uh the oyster thief um kind of mentioned a little bit that, you know, you might have to reset a little bit um, once you've gone down this hole. Uh, but was there anything else you kind of got from it? I did learn that patience 
is important mm. in writing. In most fields, we have a fairly fast-paced way of doing things. Now, books are different in that everything slows down. Sometimes it's a good idea to even step away and to let something simmer and brew over a couple of days or longer. And I've uh, had more of an appreciation for that now. Previously, I didn't think much about how the subconscious is also playing a role and um, Hmm. the mind is continuing to work on something even if not actively. Uh, So now I try to be more patient. I try to not have deadlines that are too tight for myself or to put too much pressure on myself that this has to be good or perfect. And because perfectionism, that's another area and a related area where we can really get into a trap, and many writers do, of trying to make something so good. Uh, But then it may not even become as good (laughs) as you think. And that extra effort uh, can be a bit maddening. (laughs) to just be going in circles over the same sentences, over the same commas and apostrophes. Uh, So it can be better to just uh, be happy enough with it as far as you can get it to the best of your ability and to the best of my ability at that point in my life. Uh, And then to move on and see what else can be done. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of... um... You know, we can be our own worst enemy in that sense. So we can just kind of beat ourselves up over, you know, a paragraph or a decision the character makes or something like that uh, without keeping the larger picture in mind, at least I feel. Um, Well, interesting. Well, what's one of the one uh, takeaways that you'd want readers to have after reading The Oyster Thief? A takeaway that readers should have is the beauty of the ocean that's what i quite loved about it it's also a sense of perhaps expanded humanity Hmm. because humans are the only humans in the world or human-like species uh, in terms of the way we live and the way we relate to the environment and in several ways we are unique and Every in, the, in several ways we are unique uh, so I find it interesting to have this other culture of human-like individuals who live in the natural world and who interact with it quite differently than we do the ocean is their habitat and it is just a very much a part of their lives from the animals and the environment uh, to the way they live day to day, it's in harmony with their environment. And there isn't this juxtaposition of a man versus nature. So it's a, it's just a different relationship. And I hope that that helps us think a bit more about our own relationship with the world around us. Yeah. Um, and perhaps just stop and notice the beauty of this planet we call home. Yeah, I love the way you put that. And I also love the way, um, you know, when you, I forget what exact chapter it was, but you mentioned, I actually think it was in the end, you mentioned how um, 
people are, are whales and people are more related than people would think um, from the way their tails go they're they're out you know whales and dolphins are outsiders in the ocean um, their tails move up and down whereas with most uh, fish they move side to side um, and yeah it's one of those things that we're not as you know we don't really consider that that we are um, you know you're saying that expanded version of humans you know whales and dolphins aren't humans but we're a lot closer than most people might think Yes, yes, exactly. The interconnectedness of life. Yeah. Yeah, that was something I definitely got um, while reading your book, and it was, it was very heartening. Um, I really enjoyed that aspect. Um, so what, what advice do you have for aspiring writers, for you know, aspiring environmental writers in your field? Um, is there anything that you came away with or that you would like, um, you know, some uh, you know, pieces of advice you'd like to give? Yes, absolutely. It's uh, important to follow your curiosity and your own heart and skills. Uh, so if there's a particular issue you're passionate about or a particular skill that you have, you can find a way to combine the two together uh, such that you can have the most impact in your chosen area. And there's a movie, Shark, Water Extinction oh, yeah. a documentary. That's great. Yes, it's so good. The individual featured in it, Rob Stewart, one thing he said, which was mentioned in the Q&A by uh, one of the people involved in the film, he said that you should smash together what you're good at uh, with what you're passionate about. Hmm. And I find that's a good way to think about it. So that you, one can have the most impact, um, because if one tries to do something that one is passionate about but is not really using the skills that they have or want to develop, then it can result in some disinterest or a level of burnout even. Mm. And so it's important to follow your heart and the mind both. And, you know, we can all do a little bit every day. Uh, changing the world just means really changing ourselves in small ways. Uh, in the case of the ocean, it comes down to the even the sunscreens that we use, chemicals, and most sunscreens have chemicals, and about 14,000 tons of these chemicals enter the world's coral reefs every year. And we can choose to use mineral sunscreens, which are not made of chemicals and which do not damage coral reefs. We can choose to reduce our usage of plastic, opting for a tote bag instead of a plastic bag. Mm -hmm. And we can rethink our consumption of fish. That is certainly very important in the ocean ecosystems, particularly because many of the species that humans tend to eat, like tuna and salmon, uh, reside at the top of the food chain and uh, killing them really does have effects throughout. Another issue more broadly is that the oceans absorb about one quarter of the carbon dioxide on the planet. Um, they give us about half of the oxygen on the planet while absorbing much, uh, while absorbing a quarter of the carbon dioxide. And so thinking about our carbon emissions and environmental footprint also plays a big role. 
Uh, we can do that by eating lower on the food chain, more plants and less meat and dairy, and also by thinking about other things like transport, maybe trying to use public transport more, mm-hmm. uh, or biking or walking rather than uh, cars or flying whenever possible. Yeah. And so there's a lot of uh, different things that we can all really do, and they're fairly simple once you start doing them, um, but they do have a big effect on planet. Yeah, and, and, you know, a lot of those things you can see happening now. Uh, I hope they're not trends, but I live by the beach, and um, most restaurants don't offer straws, or if they do, they offer you uh, paper straws that, that um, you know, decompose a lot yeah. quicker. Um, uh, you know, hopefully things are moving mm-hmm, in yeah. the right direction, but there's you know, it seems like the oceans are being attacked. It's almost death by a thousand cuts. They're being attacked from so many different angles, you know, from overfishing to, uh, you know, like you were saying, of, of uh, carbon emissions. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely every little bit that we can do helps for sure. Absolutely. Well, yeah, Sonia, I really wanted to thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. I, I loved reading the book, The Oyster Thief. Um, and I loved even more talking to you about it um, and getting your perspectives and getting your advice for new writers and for um, you know environmentalists and, and for anyone um, interested in this in this subject. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Brian. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Uh, for anyone who is interested in reading The Oyster Thief, you can find the first chapter for free, of course, on my website, soniafaruki.com. And uh, you can also stay in touch with me on social media if interested at Sonia underscore Faruqi. Uh, thanks for talking about these ocean themes, Brian. It's been really good uh, to connect over books and over the environment. And um, if anyone has any questions, they are welcome to reach out to me. And I'm very happy to be helpful in any way that I can be. And I can attest that Sonia is incredibly nice. So if you have any questions at all, um, yeah, she's always there. Very, very helpful. So thank you so much again for your time. That was was incredible. And um, yeah, I'm ex- I was you know, very pleased with this one. So. Perfect. Thanks. And take care.